Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blessing that we have, that we can gather here this evening, and we can gather here openly and freely. We can come here in the middle of a busy week, no doubt many of us heading in just a bunch of different directions, and Lord, what a place that we can come tonight just to, to bring you all of our cares, Lord, that we can... We can put all of that aside and, and, Lord, allow you to minister to each one of us right where we are. And Lord, that's our prayer tonight, that you would just meet each one of us. And we praise you, Lord, that we don't have to beg you for that. That's your, that's your desire to meet us here tonight. So have your way as we study your word. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. How are you doing? Good. I always have a problem singing that first song before a message. Let my words be few. That <laughs> should sing that afterwards, right? Please take out your Bibles. We find ourselves tonight in 1 Kings chapter 19. As we continue studying and looking tonight at the life I mentioned last time of one of my heroes in the Bible, Elijah. Just the, the fact, we talked to this last time, the, the, the boldness, the faith that he had, but the example that is given to us of faith and the, and the process by, that the Lord took him through in that. And we looked in that in chapters 17 and 18 last time. We looked at the fact that he went to Ahab, the king, most powerful man in the land, not the most powerful person because his wife Jezebel wears that crown, but we're going to see that as we get into chapter 19 a little bit. But he goes to Ahab and he said, Ahab, this God Baal that you worship, and I'm paraphrasing, is, is powerless because they believed that Baal was the God of rain, the God of fertility, the God of the weather. And Elijah says to Ahab, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And we see in James that it, it, James tells us that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. He prayed again, and it rained like crazy. And we're going to see, we see that as we get to the end of chapter 18. After the, the Lord takes him through this process then of, of growing and establishing this man of faith until he gets up on Mount Carmel with the, all of the prophets of Baal in the contest that we looked at last time, where they were each to build an altar to their God, put the wood on it, put the sacrifice on it, but put no fire to it, and then call out to their God, and the God who answers with fire, he is the true and living God. Everybody agreed to the contest. Nobody stood with Elijah. Even all of the children of Israel, most of them just stood quietly. He's standing up there by himself with the Lord in this contest. The prophets of Baal, they go all, all morning into the early afternoon doing their dance and doing all their stuff, and Baal does not answer. Nothing happens. Elijah says, all right, enough of, enough of that, now my turn, and he calls on praise to the Lord. He does the, puts the, 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 the sacrifice on the altar, praise to the Lord, and it says, the Lord answered with fire from heaven, coming down, not only consuming the sacrifice, but the wood and the stones and the moat that they had dug around there and all the water that they had poured on top of it and consumes it all tells us then Elijah then takes the prophets of Baal after this victory and has them executed. And then it tells us that he prayed. 
and he prayed and he sent his servant seven times to go and look and see that there was rain coming. Elijah praying now that this is done, that it would rain again. And the last time he went, he said, well, I see way off in the distance there a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, saddle up, friend. It's about to rain and rain really hard. (laughs) And he told Ahab to go and you better eat. You better get rested up and then get in your chariot and head home because we're going to have a downpour. And then it tells us the sky became black and that just poured down rain. And then we left off Elijah. I love that, like I said in that last verse, it tells us that Elijah then girds up his, his, his robe, ties it up around his belt, and he takes off running. Ahab's in a chariot with horses. And by the way, I mean, he's the king. He's not, you know, some small horses. He's got to train a horse. He's moving in a chariot. Elijah just goes busting by him, running by him. Says it beats him to Jezreel. I wonder, as I was thinking today, you know, this again, inside my head, how it works. That chariots of fire theme. Can't you almost hear that in the background? She's going blow by him. Well, you know, it's interesting. When we look at all of the things in that story, all of the miraculous things that took place, the fact that Elijah was fed with the ravens day and, by the ravens day and night, the, the, the miracle that we saw with the, the flour and the oil that did not run dry every day, there was enough to make more. The, 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 the boy that died and Elijah raised from the dead, you know, all of those miracles that took place, it's interesting, Job chapter 5 Verse 8 says, But as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. And if you were going to give an illustration after that, wonders without number, unsearchable things, in the list of the miracles that we saw in chapters 17 and 18, What would you put next if you were going to illustrate that? Raising from the dead, maybe? I mean, something like that. You know what Job says next? He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. That's the illustration Job gives. And think about that for a second, because we we look at this, and we're going to see as we get again into chapter 19, they gave credit to, to Baal for the rain, What does the world around us give credit to the rain for? Nature? It's just the way things evolved. You know, after the Big Bang, somehow, you know, our world, that's how it all happened. Well, the Bible tells us that even the rain is a miracle. And think about this for a second, because I thought this was pretty cool. I found this in an article today. Where does rain come from? Well, it comes from the sky, right? But literally, if we look at this, It's carried in the sky. Listen to these facts. How much does does it weigh, the rain, to cover one one inch deep, an inch of rain, over one square mile of crops? Now, an inch of rain is a pretty good rain, but one square mile. That is 27,878,400 cubic feet of water which is 206,300, or 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. 
one inch, one square mile. Now, how does it get there? How does it get up in the clouds? Well, evaporation, right? I mean, we know that. The ocean water evaporates. It stops kind of being water, <laughs> and it goes up into the sky, and then condensation takes place up in the sky. And that is described as this. Water starts becoming water again by gathering around little tiny dust particles that are between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. Tiny, tiny little particles of dust, it starts to condensate around those. And then the salt content. If, the salt, if salt water fell on a field, it would kill the crops. So the salt is filtered out, and you have pure water that comes from the sky, that, that, that falls from the sky. But it doesn't dump from the sky if a billion and a half pounds of water dumped on a square. I mean, it would flatten the crops, right? So it gently falls in drops that are big enough not to evaporate before they hit the ground, but small enough not to crush the crop when they hit there. And our world that worships science says, well, that all just happened. That all just happens naturally. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that takes a whole lot of faith for me to think, you know, that just randomly happened all, all the while while we were randomly happening down here, you know. That, no, the, the Bible tells us that's a miracle. How, how do we take the rain for granted. <laughs> it's a miracle every time it happens. Well, chapter 19. <laughs> Ahab, he gets in his chariot, as I said, and he, he heads to Jezreel. That's where his, his wife Jezebel is. And Jezebel, no doubt now, it's raining. She's thinking, we won. Baal, our God, wins. It's raining. He finally, this whole thing is over. He wins. Ahab comes home. Honey, tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not going to believe this, but um, yeah. Well, our Baal, he, 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 was, he was on vacation or something, but you know, end of the day, bottom line, um, all of Baal's prophets have been killed. <laughs> and Elijah he prayed, and you wouldn't believe what happened. I mean, and it goes through the whole story, and, and by bottom line, verse 1, now Ahab told Jezreel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So again, Jezebel, as I mentioned, she is the one who really is the one that is in power. We'll see that as we continue to look at, at their lives together, Jezebel and Ahab. But she says this in response to that. Again, it, it amazes me, all of the people that, that repented, that turned to the Lord, as we saw in the last time we looked at this, but Ahab and Jezebel even placed, with all of this in front of them, her response isn't repentance, is sends a messenger to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Now, looking at that, it's, it, you can, we can kind of read between the lines. She wasn't really going to have him killed that day. 
Because if she wanted him killed, she wouldn't send a messenger saying, hey, I'm going to kill you. She'd send a soldier to kill him. But if she did that, she's going to now make a martyr and even a greater hero out of this guy. I believe she sent a messenger to have happen exactly what happened. Elijah to take off running, to go into hiding, to put fear into him, hoping that that was the reaction. If she had to kill him, she would. But if, if she wanted to kill him right away, she could have done that. And it tells us in verse 3, and he was afraid, Elijah. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. We see now, as we just looked in chapter 18, we saw Elijah at the pinnacle, at the highest that mountaintop experience. I mean, this huge victory that he's won, the triumph on Mount Carmel. But now we see after this, Elijah sinking into the, one of the low spots, the lowest that we see in Elijah's life. Here we, right after that, standing up to 450 prophets of Baal, this contest, this whole thing, and then Jezebel threatens him, and he goes running off into the wilderness. We see that even great men of faith, great women of faith, can be shaken. Their faith can be shaken. I heard it this way, that even the best of men are still men at best. We looked at this last time. It tells us in James that Elijah is a man with a nature like ours. We talked about that nature and that the divine nature that is in us, yet there's still the human nature that is within him. And we talked about that when he's the hero, but we can also see that, and we can probably even more relate to at times the way we see this here. But we can learn a lot from our heroes in the Bible, even in their defeats, as much as we can in their victories. We've seen that even as we've studied through to this point in the Old Testament. Abraham. This great man who's known as the, as the father of the faith. How his faith stumbled going down to Egypt. We saw it in David. We'll see it all the way through. But we see in this even some great lessons that we can learn with it. Here he runs, he goes, he runs as far as Beersheba and he leaves his, his servant there and he continues on himself from there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here we see that not only is Elijah afraid, and fearful for what has been said against him, he's, he's, really, he's, he's reached the end of, of, of this whole thing. He's worn out. He's burned out. He's, he's, it, tell, it tells us right here that he says he requests for himself that he might die. 
he's, he's just wasted after all that's gone on, everything that's gone on. And while things were going well, he was able to continue on in that energy, if you would, that, that the emotion of it all. But now that things have taken a turn for the worse, things aren't as, as, as good as they were going, it's kind of all fallen on him like a ton of bricks. Ever been there? You know, things, things have been going really well, and you can continue on in that momentum as, as things are going well. But man, something comes, and you totally blindsides you, and you're like, man, I'm done. I can't, I can't, I can't even go, I can't go on anymore. Here it's even reached to the point where he says, you know, he requested for himself that he might die. And that's, he's reached a serious point here. Even, even praying, Lord, take my life. He's not contemplating suicide. He's saying, Lord, I'm done. I'm done. I've done everything that I can do. Take me now. It's not worth going on anymore. Notice he says, for I'm not better than my father's. Did God ever ask him to be better than his father? Not that it's recorded for us. He just said, obey me. Do what I say. But he's, 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 just, he's reached the end of this, and he's, and he's saying, you know, Lord, just take my life. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer all of our prayers in the affirmative, especially those that you pray when you're really tired, <laughs> when you're really worn out, when you're really stressed out? I've prayed a lot of prayers that I'm glad God says, uh, no. <laughs> it's interesting. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul reached that point where he's just totally spent. Everything that he had had been poured out. And I think that that's where we find Elijah. I think as we'll see, as we look at that a little bit more, he'd gotten to the point where he had been, he's saying, Lord, I've given it all I got. I don't have anything more. But Paul gives us some insight into this as he continues in verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. God allows us to get to that point where we have totally poured ourselves out, even to the point of despair, so that we understand, God, it is all you. And in that, even finding joy in that part. I mean, it, as we read this, as we look in this, as, as Paul continues, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, for, for we yet, he will yet deliver us. He is the one. He's going to give it all. That, he's going to provide what we need to continue going. Sometimes he gets us to the point where we've poured it all out because we've started to rely on ourselves. We've started to say, when we get to the point where we say, God, I'm all poured out, I'm done, he's saying, perfect. Perfect. Just take a breath. 
I'm going I'm to get you some nourishment. We're going to see that in a moment. Paul later, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's, you know, we're clay pots, guys. So that the surpassing greatness of power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. He goes on a little bit further down in chapter, chapter 4. For momentary light affliction is producing us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Elijah had been looking the whole time up until this point to the eternal. He'd been looking to God for everything that he needed along the way. Everything. He was walking by faith every step. We talked about that last time, if you'll remember. He went to King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Before he knew what step two was, he was walking by faith. Now Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. What's he walking by? Sight. He's walking in the flesh. He's not walking by faith anymore. But I love this again. We see this, <laughs> we see this in the Lord. It t- he, he laid down. God didn't say, all right, you asked for it. <laughs> it said, just, no, just rest. So he, he falls asleep, tells us an angel of the Lord touches him and tells him, arise and eat. It doesn't tell us that he, that he looked, that he saw him says, when he looked, behold, there at his head was bread cake. Angel food cake, maybe? I couldn't. I, yeah, anyway. Um, bread and water. Saying, get, get up and eat. Get up and eat. Giving him nourishment. So he does, he eats. Lays back down again. You relate to that. Get a big meal, lay back down. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Get up and eat. Get the nourishment you need because the journey is too great for you. God's not arguing with him. He said, I'm spent. I'm poured out. I don't have enough. I don't have anything in my tank anymore that's going to get me. God says, cool, I'll fill you up with what I got you because the journey is too great for you. But I'm going to give you what you need, and then I'm going to keep you going because the journey's not too great for me, God says, and you're my chosen instrument. You're the one that I'm going to use. And he went on in the strength of that food. He went on in the strength of that food. The bread and the water. I love that, the picture of that for us. When we get, and we get to that point, we say, God, I am spent. I don't have anything left. I've been doing this. I've been working at this. I've been, whatever it might be in whatever ministry it is or whatever it is that you're going, and you finally just say, you know what? I've had enough. God says, rest. You just take a nap. <laughs> but then fill yourself on my word. Get up and eat. 
get up and, and take in the nourishment that you need because the journey is too hard for you. It is too much for you. That's why you need my word and you need the water, a beautiful picture of the spirit. We need to be filled with the spirit. The word tells us that we need to be being filled with the spirit continually. And in that power, his word, his living word in us, the water of the spirit in us, we have what we need for what is ahead to take us to go in the strength of that food for that day, for what it is that God is calling us to do. Now, when I read this next part here, it says that he got up and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9, it says, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? That indicates to me, and I'm just, my, my little interpretation, that he got up in the strength that God gave him, but he went the wrong direction. He went 40 days and 40 nights the wrong way. Because he gets here and God says, what are you doing here? I think it's interesting, a little word study. Didn't have enough time to do it today, but I'm going to. Notice it says, the word of the Lord came to him and he said. The word of the Lord came to him and he said. Not the word of the Lord came to him and it said. The word of the Lord came to him and he said. What does the Bible tell us the word, who the word of the Lord is? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Is this Jesus himself speaking to Elijah? Like I said, I'm not, I just, a little word study I'm going to do, just let you in on that. What are you doing here, Elijah? And here's his response. I, you know, and again, I, I love this because, again, my hero. <laughs> and here's his response. What are you doing here? His response. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Son of Israel has forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's not what I asked. <laughs> but that's not what God says. But isn't that so often? I, I, I find myself, again, I, defending my position, and this is why, Lord, and all this kind of stuff. And I, so often I feel like, Lord, forgive me for that. That's, that's not what you're asking of me. What in that did Elijah tell him that God didn't already know? I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Lord probably says, amen. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Yes, they have. Torn down your altars. Killed your prophets by the sword. I alone am left. Elijah's saying, Lord, they kill me. You're a nonprofit organization. I'm the last one. They seek, they seek my life to take it away. Everything that he said in there is true, except that he's the only one left. We're going to see later, God tells, look, you can just look down there in verse 18, I have 7,000 left. You're not alone. You're not the last one. 
But how can we can so easily get in that, can't we? Especially when we're poured out, when we're wasted, when we're stressed, when we're like, God, I'm the only one, I'm the only one facing this. Why me? Verse 11, so he said, the word of the Lord speaking to him, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountain and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now that's a granite mountain and the wind is tearing the rocks apart. That's a, that's a strong wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Translation might say that's a still small voice or a whisper. After all of this that's going on, he says, go up, stand in the mouth of the cave. Go, go out there. And this wind comes whipping through, tearing rocks apart, blowing rocks apart. And you would imagine that if God's going to show up, that's how it's going to look. That's what it's going to sound like. Can you imagine the sound? I mean, when the wind is blowing, you know, when we get these dust storm warnings, you know, I know what the phone sounds like going off, but you know... When the wind starts whipping and howling, can you imagine the sound of rocks being torn apart by the wind? It says, but God wasn't in that. And then an earthquake. The ground shaking and rattling, but God wasn't in that. And then fire blowing past. Again, imagine the, the sound and the the feel and everything is that's going by. I mean, just place yourself in that situation. All of that, you're thinking, all right, where is the Lord? And he's not in any of it. But then, a gentle breeze, a, a whisper. And that's where the Lord is speaking. And we have to be, we have to be so careful even in this day and age because we see so much of that, don't we? That what, what people are saying, man, we're going to, you know, the Lord's going to show up tonight. And it's just all of this hoopla and a whole lot of noise and a whole lot of shaking going on and smoke machines and fire and all this kind of stuff. But God's not in that. He's still in the still small voice, He's still in the personal encounter. Because if God's not in it, <laughs> It's just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of distraction. But he speaks here to Elijah. He says, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, like he's been rehearsing this. He's been for 40 days walking through. He's been rehearsing this because he says the same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Again, God doesn't say, that's not what I asked. <laughs> doesn't say, I heard that already. 
He says this, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Here we see Elijah, he's, he's crying over, over the past, all of the things that have happened in the past. He, he's running from the things that are happening in the present. And the Lord is saying, you know what, Elijah? I'll give you what you need. But you gotta quit looking at that. You gotta quit focusing on the past. You gotta quit focusing on all of this stuff that's around. And you gotta start looking to me, and you gotta start preparing not only yourself, but start pouring into somebody else for the future, because I'm not done working. You might think you're done, but you're not done till I say you're done, and I'm not done. I you know, if you'll remember back in when we were looking at the at the children of Israel when they first came in the promised land. Remember the, after the battle of Jericho, you know, we had the victory, just like Elijah had the victory on Mount Carmel. The next battle against Ai, they lose. Here we got the, you know, Jezebel thing. Okay, then what, 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 did, what does Joshua do? He falls down on the ground. He's crying. He's saying, Lord, I don't understand. Why did you bring us out? Why did you even allow us to come into the promised land if we're going to get destroyed here and, and on and on? And what does God say to him? Get up. Get up. Why are you crying? Didn't I tell you, be strong and courageous, and I will be with you wherever you go? Samuel. Remember after Saul and all of that stuff, and Samuel's weeping for, for Saul and all this stuff, and God says, how long are you going to cry for him? There's work still to be done. Get your flask of oil and go anoint the next king. And I say that not to sound like God just is saying whatever you're dealing with, he's just saying, you know, come on, put your big boy pants on. I mean, that's not, that's not, that's not God. That's not what I'm saying. He hears us. He ministers to us in our needs. I, I heard one commentator say, it's interesting how in, in the high points, the Lord fed Elijah with a raven, but at his low point, he sent an angel. And the Bible tells us the, that angels are ministering spirits to us. And God gives us what we need. But he's also not going to let us stay in our pity party. <laughs> he's going to say, come on now. Go in the strength of the word. Go in the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's work still to be done. You've gotten your rest. You've gotten refueled. Get back in the game. Go, return on your way. He tells him to do three things. Anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And then you shall anoint Elisha to be the prophet in your place. You need to be raising up your replacement. Go, in a, go in, and find Elisha and raise him up. It says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So 
he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. Here we're introduced to Elisha, another great hero that we'll see his story as we continue to study into 2 Kings. And Elijah, in obedience, goes and he finds this young man, Elisha. And he walks up to him while he is plowing in the field. And we can't overlook the fact that it says with 12 pair of oxen. His family is a very wealthy family. To have one pair of oxen, you're, you're doing well. They have 12. But I think it's kind of cool that dad doesn't have his rich kid sitting at home playing video games and whatever else. He's out working in the field. But also we see in this, and this is, this is great as we look at this with Elisha, because God had already called Elisha, right? He said by name. He didn't say, Elijah, go pick somebody. He said, go and find Elisha. God's already been talking to Elisha, obviously. He's already been working on his heart. Because as we read next, it says, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled the flesh and the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Now, at first reading, you might say, well, that, he's just like the guy that Jesus said, you know, well, let me go say you know, goodbye to my parents. And Jesus said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back, that totally different scenario here. That guy that was talking to Jesus was saying, let me go back to my dad, and after he dies and I bury him and I get the inheritance, then I'll come follow you. Elisha's just saying, hey, let me just go tell mom and dad I'm going with you. And by the way, I'm going to, you know, the oxen that I'm using, I don't need them anymore. So he sacrifices them, feeds the, feeds the people, and he follows Elijah. Walking away from the silver spoon in his mouth or whatever, walking away from all of that to follow the Lord because the calling of the Lord was on him. And he knew it. We don't know how it all transpired and how it all came to place. Like as soon as that happened, he's like, oh, hey, I've been waiting for you, but he responded. He knew. And there's something interesting in that. How do you know? How do you know the calling of God on your life? How do you know that? Because you'll hear people that say, you know, man, I know that God's got a call on my life to do this, or I've got a call on my life to do that. And anybody curious about how do you know that? Well, you, you, you be obedient with what God tells you to do now. You start by taking that first step in obedience. And as you continue to take those steps, God continues to reveal more and more of his will to you, and then he lays out before you a, a specific call on your life. And you'll know it. You'll know it. You won't know it oftentimes until it happens. I, you won't, you, you'll say, well, I'm not, I'm not prepared for that. Elisha wasn't prepared for being the next prophet behind Elijah. There's going to be a lot of training that goes on. There's going to be that. And then the anointing and then the Holy Spirit, you know, coming upon him and, and all of these things. He's going to learn how to even fine-tune even more 
the voice of God. It's going to be awesome when we start getting into him. We, there's a whole lot about Elisha's life that we see. But it tells us later on that the, their enemies, when they start talking about Elisha, they go, dude, this guy, he knows what's going on in our bedrooms. I mean, God, his God talks to him. His God tells him everything. He, he's listening and he's obedient to what the Lord is, is, is calling him and telling him. I'll, I'll never forget the, the, day, the day that it was decided by the elders that I was going to step in the role of the senior pastor here at Calvary Surprise. And Bob Claycamp, who was helping us in that transition period, he came together with me and he it pulled me aside and it was just the two of us. And he sat down with me and he talked with me and then prayed with me. But he said, expect a new anointing on your life now because you have a new calling on your life now. And the anointing that the Lord will give you will be a new one because you didn't need it before. You didn't need it before today, but now as you walk forward in that, he will, he will get, be prepared for that. And at the time, I knew what he meant. I mean, I could connect the dots, kind of know what he meant mentally. But now being living through that, I know exactly what he means. Because it's the Lord that does that. It's, it's, I, I, I brought nothing but just saying, oh, okay, answer, answering the call. And that's what I say that to say this. As the, God, as the Lord calls you, whatever it might be, expect him to call you into something that you're not prepared for. Because that's the way he works. If God lays something on your heart that you say, okay, easy, I can do that in my sleep. That's not the Lord. The Lord's going to call you to do something that you say, "Ah, I can't do that. Five years ago? (laughs) I can't do this. But it's not me. It's, it, and, and it won't be you. And it's not Elijah. We're just simply those willing vessels. We're the, we're the clay pots that say, all right, Lord, fill me up with whatever it is that you want to do. Use me for whatever it is that you desire. And when we bring that willingness, as Elisha did, Elijah did, and we see it through the, all of the saints in the Bible, that's the word the Lord said, all right. And then the calling is made clear. And again, the provision is made for us to, to walk in that. The next, next step, when we get, we'll, we'll leave it off for there. The next couple of chapters as we finish out 1 Kings, we kind of take a break away from Elijah and Elisha. We pick back up in 2 Kings with them. Uh, but again, we see Elijah at his highest. We see him at his lowest. We see... And, and it's recorded for us, as, as Paul tells us, that, that these things are recorded for us for our learning so that we can, we can learn these things. But it's, it's awesome that God, God records that for us in Scripture. It's in the history. But you know what? It's not in the future. I mentioned Abraham, you know, that in Genesis it tells us that, that he, he went down to Egypt and told his wife, hey, when we get there, Tell them you're my sister, because if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. So just tell them you're my sister. You know, 
this great man of faith. God had to rescue them, not once, but twice. He did that two times, two separate occasions. He didn't learn the first time. He tried it again a second time. Great, great man of faith. That's, that's in Genesis. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, that, that, that beautiful thing, and I, I, I believe in heaven, there's going to be a hall of, we're going to get to tour that. We're going to be able to say, oh man, yeah, they're Abraham, you know, and you know, we're going to find that that one wing Calvary Chapel surprise. Hey, look, this, you know, and all of, and, but when we when we look at that, the Hall of Faith in in Hebrews chapter eleven, you know how much is mentioned about that trip in Egypt? It says, "By faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. Sarah. When it when she found when the the." The, the angels came and, and said, She's, your wife's going to bear. So she hears and she laughs, right? You know? Yeah, great woman of faith, right? <laughs> you know what's, how much is mentioned to that in Hebrews chapter 11? By faith, Sarah. You know what that tells me? What happens in Genesis stays in Genesis. <laughs> it's all washed away. <laughs> God's keeping a record of, of the faithfulness and the, and the obedience. And when we get this, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. We can learn a lot from the low points, but man. The mountaintop of triumph and the valley of testing, but praise the Lord, huh? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for examples like Elijah, like Abraham, like Sarah. Like Elisha, Lord, this young man who, who was willing to walk away from probably everything that life had to offer at that time to follow the calling that you put on his life. Lord, we thank you for examples like that. We thank you, Lord, that in your word you record for us too the, the trials that our heroes go through. Even the... <laughs> the silly comments that they make, Lord, because we can so relate to those. We thank you that in your, in your kindness and your goodness, you say no to some of our prayers, but we know, Lord, that you hear them all. Lord, I pray that regardless of where anyone might be tonight in their walk, where anyone might be tonight in in their life, trials that they may be facing, difficulties, triumphs, trials. Lord, that you meet them right where they are. Lord, we know it is never for a lack of provision because you provide everything that we need. Lord, we want to be filled with your word, filled with your spirit, so that we can go forward in that strength for whatever it is that you call us to. Thank you for this time in the middle of our week, Lord, where we can come and be refreshed by your word and, and energized by your spirit. And Lord, we go in that energy now to face what you would lay before us tomorrow, knowing, Lord, that we desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.